0: Hi, this is Alana with the Dealing with Donor Conception podcast. This is episode two. Actually, it's kind of the first episode because this is the first meaty episode where I'm actually going to talk about something. So I received some emails recently, and I've actually received a lot of emails through the past about how do I tell my child that they're donor conceived? And this is a really important question, one that I've hesitated to answer because I don't I haven't wanted the responsibility of of advising people in this manner but I finally put some thought into it and I wrote some points down and I'm ready to share with you now my opinion um, as to how you tell your child that they're donor conceived and I'll start by saying a little bit about my story, and how I found out that I was donor-conceived. So my mom um, married a man who she knew to be infertile, but she married him anyways, and they, of course, had trouble conceiving, so she, they first adopted, so my older sister was adopted um, from Korea. Um, She is now a beautiful, awesome person who has an awesome family, and uh, and I love her a lot. Um, they wanted a second child, uh, so when I was when my sister was five, uh, I was born, and they tried to adopt a second time. it didn't work out. so they decided to use an anonymous sperm donor and um, I was born when she was five years old and so obviously, you know I had a sister who was Asian and I'm Caucasian I'm like. Polish, Swedish, English. And so there's a big genetic difference. And, it, you know, we would introduce ourselves as sisters and people would be very confused and say, but you don't look like sisters. And it so our family constellation begged the question, um, you know, where do you all come from? Because you're obviously not genetically related. And um, so when I was five, I think, four or five, um, my mother came and told me that I was donor-conceived. And the memory I have is that she came into my room, we were folding clothes and putting clothes into my drawers when she kind of was very nervously told me, you know, your, your father, he can't have his own kids. He couldn't. Um, we couldn't make a baby together because his body was broken. And so you and your sister um, come from uh, different places. Your sister, we adopted her from Korea because her mommy was, was not able to take care of her. And you come from um, a donor. And so we don't really know much about him. We just know that he had blonde hair and blue eyes and went to college and that's pretty much all I remember from the conversation but it was it had a big impact on me obviously because I still remember it today and I'm 33 as I speak these words so you know almost three decades later I I have this memory so that was kind of the moment I I ever thought about donor conception that was the first time and and I have been thinking about it and the ethics of it, kind of ever since. And with the Anonymous Us project, I've had the privilege of reading, you know, thousands of stories at this point from other donor-conceived people and other, um, you know, people whose whose lives have been impacted—parents and donors—and. Now, I feel ready to teach you what I've learned and what I suggest that you do. Um, So, there's this obvious truth. The obvious truth is every human being since the beginning of time has come from one man and one woman. And some parents of donor offspring think that, uh, you know, we need to minimize the the, the term mother and father. And w- so they use the term donor or gestational carrier or fairy egg donor, you know, these different terms. And the point of it is to minimize the importance of this person. But when you do that, it also dehumanizes them. And an unintended consequence is that the child can feel Dehumanized. So I do not think that you should use the term, oh, your sperm donor or your egg donor or your gestational carrier. I actually think that if you have used a donor to conceive, if you're the parent of a donor child, you should actually be brave and reintegrate the more fully human term of biological father, biological mother. If there's an egg donor and a surrogate, you know, you say birth mother and genetic mother. Um, and this can be scary for you as a parent. I understand that because um, you don't want roles to get confused. Um so I think, you know, grown-ups, the, the adults who do this, they they use these terms to create boundaries. So sperm donor, they use that word to create a boundary because they don't want this person intruding into their lives. They don't want this person to, like, come, you know, co-parenting or involving themselves. However, I think for the sanity of the child, um, it's worth it. But this is what you have to do. So, I, well, I did an interview with the for a documentary with a gay man, and he used his half-sister's eggs with his male partner's sperm, and they hired a surrogate, and they had a child. And they called the half-sister, whose eggs were used, the aunt, um, instead of what she was, which was the biological mother. And he said, you know, boundaries, boundaries. We, we, we use that word, aunt, because it sets up an expectation of what kind of caregiving role she has or does not have. And so, yes, I think you need to create boundaries. Boundaries are important, but you can do that with other kind of statements. You can do that legally. You can do that by saying, uh, yes, you are the biological father of this child, but legally you agreed to give up parental rights when you signed up as a sperm donor. Therefore, you can't call, you can't visit, and you can't co-parent. And the same with genetic mothers or birth mothers that you hired as egg donors or surrogates. You say, This person is the genetic mother. This person is the birth mother. But we agree, you're not going to call. You're not going to come visit. Um, You know, we do Christmas letters and that's it. Or no contact whatsoever until the child's 18. So, So you're creating boundaries by setting the terms of when you reach out, when you visit, and what kind of contact you have. But you're not using these dehumanizing words like gestational carrier or sperm donor. And let me explain why. Okay, by choosing the more human word choice, like biological mother or father, you're emphasizing the child's humanity, which is really important. I cannot emphasize this enough. For the sake of the sanity of your child, he or she must know that they're a common member of the human race. That we're not a product, that we're not a science experiment, and that they have a mother and a father just like everybody else. They come from one man and one woman just like everybody else. If your child was conceived using egg donation or an egg donor to surrogate, you know you got it tough it's going to be tricky mental health gymnastics um, because there was a decision that you guys made to parcel out the parentage and split up the child's identity into all these different grown-ups um, but i think if you if you rehumanize where they come from it'll benefit their their mental health cuz when you say the child doesn't have a father just a donor you're you're you don't know this, but you're insisting to them that they're subhuman. So if the child asks you who their bi- biological father is, in- instead say to them, sweetie, I'm sorry, but I don't know who your biological father is. I never met him. Or, sweetie, I don't know who your um, egg donor is. We never met them. Or um, your egg donor your sorry, your biological mother's name is Susie. Or your biological father's name is Ron. Or whatever the truth is, but humanize them. Give them a name, give them a face. So, but then create the boundaries in other ways, okay? So, the day that the child discovers that money was involved, that their biological father or mother gave them up in exchange for money, that's gonna be difficult. Um, many of us don't are conceived hate the idea that for seventy five dollars or five thousand dollars, that that money was more important to our biological father or mother than having a relationship with us. it's It's hard to deal with. But in the end, it is healthier psychology for us to know that we're human just like everybody else, and that we deserve all the same human rights as everybody else. Um, we can grapple with the reality that our parents weren't perfect. And that we, you know, they suffered from brokenness. They suffered from ignorance or um, greed or just a need to survive financially. Or, or, you know, we can accept the fact that our um, social parents had clinical health problems. You know, we we can deal with that. But I, you know, I can accept that my biological father needed money. I can accept that he couldn't foresee the value in having a relationship with me. I can accept that my mother and father will never meet and fall in love and raise me as a team. I can accept that there's a business, you know, the fertility industry is a business and that they chose profit over my well-being by only offering anonymous sperm donation. Like all those things I can accept, but I cannot accept the suggestion that I am subhuman. I cannot accept the idea that I don't have all the features that make up a real human being. And all human beings since the beginning of time have had a father and a mother. So please tell your child this. Tell them, Darling, you are a human being, and like every human being on earth, you came from a man and a woman. If you're a single mom by choice, or in a lesbian relationship, or in a heterosexual you know, relationship with the male partner who's sterile, you know, start by saying, darling, you're a human being. Like every human being on earth, you came from a man and a woman. But I am your biological mother. You have a biological father too. One day, I hope you will get to meet him. I'm sure he'd love to meet you. But right now, I'm raising you by myself. Or right now, mommy number two and I are raising you. Or right now, your daddy and I are raising you. And, okay, do you get what I'm doing here? You're, you're reassuring them that they're fully human, and you're reassuring them that they're good, In that missing biological parent would want to meet them, and that they, they are lovable. And so if the child asks you why their biological father or mother isn't there raising um, them, then you say, Darling, the reason they're not here raising you with me is because he and I um, don't have a relationship. There was an agreement that I would raise you because two people who don't have a relationship should probably not share a house. But let me tell you, you are incredibly lovable. You are a person worth knowing and a person worth spending time with. And I'm sure that when the day comes where it's appropriate for you to meet him, He will immediately recognize how great you are, and he'll be so proud of you. Okay, so they're fully human, and they're lovable. That's what you need to get across to the child. Every child will recognize at some point in their life that they come from a man and a woman. And if that man or that woman who helped make them is not there... Um, for whatever reason, the child won't be able to help, they, they can't help themselves but ask, why is my biological father not here? Or why is my biological mother not here? And children are egocentric. They think everything revolves around them and they're going to they're gonna think that it's because they're so unlovable. That's the reason their biological father's not there. And that feeling of being unlovable is a real trauma. It's a real trauma. And there's two personality disorders that I'm aware of that can result from the trauma of perceiving that you are unlovable. So one of them I was diagnosed with, so I'm going to share something. Um, I was diagnosed with codependency, and that is, it does not mean that I'm dependent on others, necessarily. the The history of the term codependency um, actually started in regards to the treatment of alcoholics and drug addicts. And so, therapists they discovered um, in treatment that alcoholics and narcotics they suffer from the same thing and they require the same kind of treatment. So they they re termed the group as instead of separate alcoholics and separate you know, narcotics-addicted people, they chose the term chemical dependency. So these are chemically dependent people. And then it was discovered that a lot of the spouses and partners of these chemically dependent people had their own set of problems, and they all shared a lot of the same traits. So then they came up with the term for the spouses of the chemically dependent people and they, they they coined us codependent. You know, we're with, we're we're coming we're co chemical dependent. We're with the chemically dependent person. Um so but there's actually a a doctor named Ross Rosenberg who's trying to recoin the diagnosis and he's trying to rephrase this as self-love deficient, so, or self-love deficiency syndrome, and he says that the core cause of this personality disorder is a perception that you are unlovable, um, and it can impact your ability to function as an adult. And there's a second personality disorder that I'm aware of that also comes from this perception of being unlovable um, called narcissistic personality disorder, and this is common when, you know, it's common when there's a missing genetic parent where you you perceive at some point in childhood that you're not worth loving. So with nar- narcissistic personality disorder, you know, these indiv- individuals can end up being pretty dangerous, actually. Um, but what they do, you know, when they're a child, they they suffer this trauma that they feel like they're unlovable, but they're coping strategy is to reject that perception and convince they convince themselves that no i'm actually perfect and i'm better than everybody i'm superior i know more i'm faster i'm i'm superior to all these other people and um I'm. Not, I'm gonna talk more about these two personality disorders in future podcasts. But for right now, all I, the point that I want to make is that the functioning your the future ability of your child to function can be greatly improved if you really convince them that they're lovable, and you want to prevent them ever feeling like it's impossible to love them. And so you have to come up with a good reason as to why their biological parent father or mother is not there. But don't don't you know add fuel to the fire by dehumanizing the term father or mother. Don't minimize that to donor or gestational character because the child needs to recognize their own humanity. They need to feel at home in the human race. And we've always had a mother and father. Every human has always had that. So give that to them. Let them know that they're normal. They have a mother and father, but there's a reason that their biological and father, mother, isn't there, and we can cope with that in other ways. So repeat to them that the reason their biological father or mother is not there is because you just don't have a relationship with them. And repeat to them that the ch- you are so lovable as a child, and I love you, and. You're lovable, and one day I hope that you get to meet your biological father or your biological mother, and I'm positive that they will fall in love with you because, my child, you are so great and so lovable. It's just not appropriate to meet them right now, but one day I hope you will, and I know that they will fall in love with you because you're you're just that great, okay? And if you guys are religious or don't mind church you know a sense of of you know god created you as for a reason that you have a purpose um that can help a lot too so um i hope this helps good luck uh email me if you have any questions um i'm going to put the the transcript of this in the show notes but so I hope that helps you um, in your journey to tell your child how they're, um, that their donor conceived and what to tell them. Um, this is Alana signing off. God bless.